Matthew actually just looked down to verse 30. I know we haven't um, read it yet. Where we're going to look at our reading and our, our talk in two, two parts. But you can see from the second half of verse 30 there that Jesus says, It is finished. Finished. Jesus says, My saving work is finished. It is complete. It is accomplished. And I guess my, my question for us to ponder this evening, and where I hope it's going to help us, hope it's going to help us, is the question is, well, what if when Jesus says it is finished, he really meant it? That's our question today. What if when Jesus says it is finished, he really meant it? Now, a lot of us in this room uh, will be Christians and will be saying, well, of, of course Jesus meant it. He said it. Of course he meant it. And I believe it. I believe his saving work was completed when he died on the cross. But I think sometimes our thinking and perhaps our actions betray the fact that maybe we don't quite believe it. Not quite. Yes, he's done it mostly, but perhaps not finished. I'll share some more examples a bit later on, but but perhaps just one example is the idea of when you you kind of reflect on a day and think, well, how how was my day spiritually speaking? And that sense of, well, actually, my relationship with God isn't really quite what it should be. And when we have those those moments of feelings, well, what, what happens in those moments? Do you think, well, tomorrow I've got to try a lot harder. Tomorrow I've got to wake up on time. I've got to do my quiet time. I've got to witness to my colleague. I've got to not do that. And if I can do that, then tomorrow I'll be much better off. That kind of heart attitudes might reveal the fact that we don't truly believe that when Jesus says it is finished, it is indeed finished. In part one, so the first talk here, what we're really going to be thinking about is how Jesus finished his saving work. Second part, we're going to think, well, what is it? So, so firstly, this part, first part, how is it that Jesus finished his saving work? We're given very little detail of the crucifixion. John is actually very matter-of-fact about it. So you can see from verse 17 that um, Jesus was given the crossbeam of the, the cross that he carried and, and walked out of the city to Golgotha, which is the Aramaic name, or to Calvary, we, we may know it by from the, the Latin. And there Jesus, in verse 18, there they crucified him. And that's kind of all we're told. Crucifixion, we're, we're not given any of the, the gory details. And it was gory. But the reason was is that Jesus is emphasize, uh, John sorry, is emphasizing the significance of the events. He's not just trying to shock us with the brutality. And in fact, even here, Jesus was crucified with two others. Now, we're meant to see the significance of Jesus dying on a cross. Because remember, as I started uh, today, John is writing that we believe that Jesus is the Christ and that by believing, we may have life in his name. And so, so John wants to show us why it is we should believe in Jesus even the crucified Jesus. And the first major detail that, that John picks up for us is Pilate's defiant inscription that he puts above uh, Jesus on the cross. Those days that somebody who's crucified would have their crime written on a kind of uh, placard and then put above them 
effectively to act as a deterrence. Okay? If you're average Jay walking along the street and you see someone crucified and they've got their, their crime up above them, you're like, yikes, I'm not going to do that, otherwise I might end up there. But in this case, we can see Pilate's inscription. Verse 19, Pilate also wrote an inscription and put it on the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. Now the religious leaders, the Jewish religious leaders, didn't like that at all. So in verse 21, so the chief priests of the Jews said to Pilate, do not write the King of the Jews, but rather this man said, I am the King of the Jews. But Pilate, verse 22, answered, what I have written, I have written. See, Pilate, after last time, we saw him kind of effectively being steamrollers by these Jewish leaders. And this time he's having none of it. Okay, the last say is mine. I'm going to write that. And he's mocking them. Here is this man, naked, beaten, flogged, nailed to a cross. And here's your king. He's mocking them with it. But of course, he's speaking better than he knows. Because yes, this is the king of the Jews. This is the king of the world. And yes, he is on a cross. Now God's eternal king being crucified is so surprising, it's so far from expectations, that it's almost not believable. Now we, 2,000 years later, have the benefit of hindsight. But at that time, no one believed it. No one made sense of it. At least no one kind of believed that this was God's plan. All of Jesus' disciples, they fled, they're confused, they're after, they're terrified and all these things. It didn't make sense to them. And it doesn't. A king crucified, it doesn't make sense. And that is why John goes to such great lengths to show us that this really was God's plan. And he goes into, indeed, quite uh, some small details. But, but actually, if we see that even the small details are part of God's plan, well, then definitely the whole part is. In verse 18, we, we've already been told that Jesus was crucified in between two others. Now, those familiar with um, their Old Testament, it's Isaiah 53, which is packed full of prophecies of Jesus. And one of them, in verse 12, says he, Jesus would be numbered with the transgressors. That is, he would be alongside other transgressors. And here, John is subtly pointing to that. And that verse goes on, in fact, to say, he's numbered with the transgressors, yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for transgressors. So John is saying that there's Jesus here is significance. This king is dying on the cross, but that is because it's his plan to bear the sin of many. Then in verse 23 and 24, the, the, the soldiers um, come up with this plan. Well, so the, the average Jew would have worn these five items of clothes. The four, probably this, the execution squad of Jesus, they each take one item of clothes, but, but rather than spoil this, this undergarment, this, one, one, uh, this fabric that was woven in one piece, they, they uh, gamble for it. Now, the soldiers just think this is sensible and fun. But unwittingly, they're actually fulfilling God's words. Because you see in verse 24 that this was to fulfill the scripture, which says they divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. 
We're going to see another example in part two of these events fulfilling the Old Testament prophecy. In the next section that we're not actually going to read, we'll see later on that after Jesus has died, um, they were Romans were surprised by this, and they went to break the legs of the other people to speed it up, but Jesus was already dead. But so that Jesus' bones were not broken, again, fulfilling Scripture. And we see his um, side was pierced with a spear. All these things point into the fact that what is happening here is God's eternal and perfect plan. Even to the smallest detail, it was all fulfilling his plan. Surprising as it is. You see, Jesus' death wasn't a sudden, unexpected event that just kind of happens by itself. This was predicted long, long ago. And indeed, Jesus has been working towards his whole ministry, and this is the climax. All part of God's plan. And then we have some verses which are a bit kind of hard to place, a bit to, to understand what they're doing here, but, but they are lovely. Because courageously standing near Jesus on the cross are Jesus' mother, three other women, and John, who's here in verse 26 described uh, as he is throughout the gospel as the disciple um, whom Jesus loved. And in language very similar to official adoption language, Jesus provides for his mother by transferring her to John's care. So from the end of verse 26, well, from the beginning, let me read it there. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, woman, behold your son. And he said to the disciple, behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his home. It's a bit kind of hard to... to place quite what it's doing here, but I think it does represent an amazing picture of Jesus' love and care for individuals. Here Jesus is on the cross, bearing the full weight of punishment for all his people's sin, and yet he takes care for one individual. Yes, his mother, but it's, he notices her and provides for her even here. But more than that, I think it is a wonderful picture of the new people of God that Jesus is creating by his death on the cross. A new people of God that transcends bloodlines, but actually is all through faith. And so John and Mary, this, this family, because of their faith in the Lord Jesus, and the family that is represented here, all who are trusting in him, brought into this new family. But please make no mistake. Jesus completed God's eternal plan of salvation as he died on a cross. Now, if that is is news to you this evening, if that is surprising, well, please see that John went out of his way to show that, to prove it. In part two, we're going to find out a little bit more. But again, if that is something that just doesn't make sense to you, please ask the person you brought with you to, to explain it further. Please do grab me at the end. In fact, quite possibly hoping on this Wednesday to be starting a a Christian Foundations course that will look at the significance of Jesus, his death, and what he was doing there. But even if you have been a Christian for a while, again, I think we can have these nagging doubts. Just what was going on there? It, It looks so weak. But know this, and believe this, and go on believing this, that Jesus is the Christ. Believe that this is God's rescuing king and this is how he brought that salvation plan out, which we will look at more 
in part two in a moment. Okay, so part one, we were thinking, well, how is it that Jesus finished his saving work? Well, he finished his saving work, God's eternal plan of salvation by dying on a cross. The king, the king of the whole world, God's king, yes, crucified, all part of God's plan. Well, part two here now, we're thinking really predominantly on, well, what it means that Jesus' work is finished. Because the king dying on the cross, yes, that was God's fulfilling his eternal plan. But Jesus actually knew that to be true as well. He knew that was the case. So in verse 28, after this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said to fulfill scripture, I thirst. We're meant to see Jesus' intentionality there. Now, yes, entirely naturally, he would have been thirsty, hanging in the the heat. No doubt he was thirsty from a natural point of view. But here, whereas others in the story are playing their part in God's eternal plan um, subconsciously, Jesus is fully aware of what he is doing as he is there on the cross. And so, verse 29 a jar full of sour wine stood there. So they put it on a sponge to fill, sorry, um, on a sponge full of the sour wine on the hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. And sour wine is kind of cheap wine, think kind of olden times energy drink. It's what, what the soldiers would have had on them to kind of keep them going through uh, their, their shift here. And they put it on the sponge. And so verse 30, when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And bowed his head and gave up his spirits. It is finished. It is finished. In the original, it's actually just one word. Tetelestai, one word. And it carries a sense of it is finished. It has been and will forever remain finished or better yet, accomplished or completed, because it's not just finished and it's just come to an end. The reason it's come to an end is because it has been completed, accomplished. And with that one word, Jesus removes any lingering doubts that this might have been a tragic accident. No, it is finished. With one word, Jesus confirms that the cross wasn't defeat, but it was victory. It is finished. With one word, Jesus shapes our view of Good Friday. So though, yes, it is serious, it isn't morbid. It is triumphant. It is Good Friday. It is finished. Now, what was finished? What was the good work that Jesus accomplished or completed as he died here on a cross? Well, let me just remind you again, if you've been following us on a Sunday morning, of some of the things that we've just seen uh, throughout our, our little series in John's Gospel. Back in chapter 10, we saw that Jesus was the good shepherd, the good shepherd who was going to lay down his life for the sheep. And here, a few chapters later, we see Jesus doing exactly that. Jesus, the good shepherd, laying his life down for the sheep. He dying in their place. Then in chapter 14, we saw Jesus telling his disciples that he was going to leave them and he was going to go to prepare a place for them. 
And here we see Jesus going from them as he dies on a cross. But what is he doing here? Well, he is preparing a place for them in God's presence for all eternity. He's preparing a place for them in God's home. Chapter 17, Jesus says, look, my, the hour has come. The hour has come for me to be glorified, to, to show Jesus in all his greatness. Here he is, hung on a cross. But there's also one more subtle hint in our verses. It's such a small detail that we could miss it. But it is also such a small detail that we perhaps, well, we do, we wonder why it is that John included it. Because did you notice how it was that the, the soldiers got that sour wine up to Jesus on the cross? Did you see that down, down in verse 29? So they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. A hyssop branch, a kind of a common tree, very unremarkable. But if you could come with me in your Bibles, please do come back to Exodus um, chapter 12. Uh, it's right back towards the beginning of the Bible. That's page uh, 65. And what I'm going to read here is talking of the Passover, when God's people in, uh, in Egypt were rescued from slavery there and brought out, and the way that that happened. And again, as we saw last week, that the events of Jesus here on the cross happening at the time of the Passover... The symbolism is rife. But have a look down at Exodus chapter 12 and from verse 21. This is Moses telling the people what to do on the night of the Passover. Then Moses called all the elders of Israel and said to them, Go and select lambs for yourselves according to your clans and kill the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop, Dip it in the blood that is in the basin and then touch the lintel and the two doorposts with the blood that is in the basin. None of you shall go out of the door of his house until morning. For the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians and when he sees the blood on the lintel and the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to enter your house to strike you. You see there that the hyssop branch was what was used to paint the blood on the doorposts that kept people safe from God's judgment. The hyssop branch was what was used to paint the blood on the doorposts that kept people safe from God's judgment. And so when we see that very small little detail of John, our minds are immediately brought back to that Exodus 2. And we see here Jesus the one who keeps God's people safe from his judgments. When we look at Jesus, as it were, we too shelter under him. When we trust in him and him alone for our salvation, we are safe from God's judgment because he has taken it all upon himself. That's what it means that the work is finished. His saving work is done because he has taken all the punishment that his people rightfully deserve upon himself. And his people are safe in him. And I find the last few words back in John, sorry, back in John now, but the last few words of verse 30, um, fascinating. Did you notice, so after he says, it is finished, and he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Who killed Jesus? 
could say the Jews. They were the ones who were all behind it. could say the Romans. They were the ones who actually did it. If we're feeling kind of smart and clever, we could say us, or even got the Father and punished him. Interestingly, all those things are, are, are true in some senses, but in another sense, no one. Jesus gave up his life. And again, aren't we reminded back in John chapter 10? He says, I lay down my life. Here in action, no, now that saving work is done, Jesus gives up his life. The fact that Jesus laid down his life didn't just mean that he allowed himself to go along with their plans and get arrested and, and all those kind of things. And actually here, having, when the work was done, he gave up his spirit. It is finished. That triumphant call of Jesus on the cross. But now we come back to my initial question. I say, well, what if when Jesus says it is finished, he really meant it? That it really is finished? Well, the first thing is, so wonderfully, that the way to be, uh, to be safe from God's judgment and the way to be in relationship with him is all been done. And how wonderfully freeing that is. There is now nothing that we can do, nothing that we should try to do in order to, to win that forgiveness ourselves, to enter that relationship by ourselves. We simply can't do it. We don't need to do it because Jesus has done it. It is finished. And so again, if you are at the moment, if you, you wouldn't call yourself a Christian, and, but, but you, you know that things aren't quite right in your life and you're, you're trying to sort them out, well, can you please hear this loving cry of Jesus? It is finished. All you need to do is come to him and trust him. But again, for us as God's people, that, that, that example, I think so often we, we fall into the trap of, well, okay, not my, my salvation, but, but perhaps my, my standing, my, the, the state of my relationship depends on my performance. Do you see what difference this one word, or three words in English, what this one word means? It is finished. Which means the state of my relationship doesn't, again, depend on my performance. It still depends on what Jesus has done. How freeing, how liberating that is for us. It means that, that when I sin, I don't have to, to stop trying and sort myself out again. And, and once I've not done that sin for a few days, then finally I'll, I'll be able to come back and uh, pray again and all those things. No, it is finished. That is why Good Friday is a triumphant day. It's a victorious day. It's a good day. It's a, a day of celebration. Because it is what Jesus has accomplished for all his people, for anyone who would believe in him and keep on believing him, that we would have this life, life with God, because Jesus had done the work. It is finished.